Hey everybody, I'm Jen Garrett, and I've used my Move the Ball system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, I'm glad that you're here with us today. This episode is part of my special coaches series where I'm having conversations with Division I college football head coaches and also coaches from the NFL. If you've been a regular listener on the show, you've probably heard me say this before, but it's very different being a player than being a coach. And as coaches, as leaders, they play an influential role for their team, their fellow coaches, and for their athletes. And for us as leaders off the field, we also have to be coaches who enable our teams, empower them, and make sure we position everyone for success. So for today's episode, I've got a great guest inside the huddle with us and ready to help us move the ball is Coach Rod Milstead. Coach Milstead is currently the head coach of the Delaware State Hornets football program. He was one of the most decorated players in the history of Delaware State University when he was playing football there, and he was appointed to the head coaching position in January of 2018. Coach Milstead spent eight years playing in the NFL. He was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys in the fifth round of the 1992 NFL draft. He played for the Cleveland Browns, the 49ers, where he won a Super Bowl, and also with the then-called Washington Redskins. Coach Milstead, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. As a podcast host, I'm always thinking about what's the best question that I can ask to lead off the show. And where I want to kick off our conversation, because you have played in the league and football has been a part of your life for quite some time. Talk to us about why football? How did you get into it? And what was it about the game that made you love it? Well, it's funny. I didn't start playing organized football until I got to high school. I was a mama's boy growing up and still am today. My mom felt that the game was too violent. So I was able to play basketball. I was able to play baseball, but football was surely off limits. And I used to go watch a lot of my friends play on Saturday mornings and they would play Pop Warner and pound ball. And I always wished I could put that helmet on, that jersey on, and I couldn't do it. And when I got to high school, I begged and pleaded and asked her if I could play. And then my dad stepped in and said, hey, let the boy play. And I started playing and I got bit by the bug. I wasn't very good my freshman year. In fact, the coach would put me in, call a special timeout and put me in the last 10 or 15 seconds just for the kneel down. I remember on a bus ride back, all the players were talking about what they did and their performance and all I could talk about. Hey, y'all see me get in the game. And I heard the snickers and laughs. And from that I was moved to my sophomore year and getting ready for my sophomore year and was in the weight room. I saw one of the assistant coaches put a stack of papers down and me being inquisitive or part-time nosy, I picked it up and it was a football camp. He was going to give a brochure out to the players. And while he wasn't looking, I took one, folded it up, stuck it in my shorts and I took it home and I gave it to my mom. She signed it, gave me the money and I took it back the next day. I was so happy. It didn't dawn on me that I took something that didn't belong to me. We got in the weight room and I gave it to a coach and he said, how did you get this? And I said, well, you had a stack of papers on the desk yesterday and I saw it. He said, who told you to touch it? 
And at that point, I got real upset, like I did something wrong, but I really need, and I just started pleading my case, I really need this camp. I want to be a good football player. I haven't played, and I need this, and I want to do everything I can to be successful, and this right here will open the door for me. He said, you really think so? I said, yeah, I believe with my whole heart. He said, good. He called everybody up, and I was embarrassed, and I thought he was going to reprimand me. He said, hey, we got 30 slots to go to football camp, okay, just 30. And Rod took one. So now we got 29. So, Rod, you hand the rest of these flyers out to guys that want to come. And the first guys that paid their $30, you will go to camp with Rod Milstead. I felt really good. He, he took a bad situation. He flipped the script. And from that point on, I needed that camp. And from that point on, I got bit by the football bug. And I've been playing ever since and been very, very, very blessed with this game. I love the story. So thanks for bringing that up and letting us know about how you kind of got into football. And I think that's you know, taking initiative was important and that that thing changed your trajectory, right? It changed your the direction of where you might have been. And so that's one thing that I think I learned as a kid watching football, falling in love with the game at four was just about the making the plays, taking the plays, making the shots and seeing where things go and being that go-getter and having that initiative. And so when you look back upon lessons that football has taught you throughout your life, what are some of the key things that you think you've really taken away from the game that have helped you to be successful throughout your career, playing in the NFL as well as being a coach? One of the biggest things is that victory loves preparation. Okay. One thing about the game of football, you have to prepare for it. You're never going to be ready. Okay, but you can't be prepared for all situations and all the things that are getting thrown at you during the course of a game, during the practice and in the offseason. Being prepared is the biggest thing that I've taken from the game of football and added that to the game of life as well. An older gentleman told me years ago, he said, hey, are you ready to die? And I said, no. He said, why do you pray? I said, to get a better relationship with God. He said, no, to be prepared for that day. And it really hit hard to me. And I trained my football team with this, is that we don't know what's going to be served on game day. We have a good idea because we've watched film and we got a, a good game plan. But most teams do something different than you've seen on film. Now, were you ready for it? No. Were we prepared for it? Yes. We may have seen it once, see it twice. We make adjustments. And then we have an answer to what they've done. And that's called being prepared. And it's not called being ready. And so the one thing that I've taken, like I said, is that always be prepared, you know, even with my kids, even with my faith, with my family. Are you ready for things? No, I'm not ready, but I can be prepared because I'm going to continue to work and I'm going to prepare for the what ifs. If this happened, then this. If this, then that. And have an answer for it when it arises. And hopefully it'll be the best answer. Sure. And so as you look at being a head coach, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. What do you feel like are the most important characteristics of being a head coach as the leader? Being a head coach is like being a CEO of a small corporation. That's the biggest thing. You have your mid-level managers, your supervisors will be your coaching staff, and then you have your stakeholders, which are your employees, which are the players. And that's how I've been able to be successful and be able to manage and cope at the high school level, which I've been a head coach at the high school level, getting the kids to buy in to what you're selling. That's hard because a lot of kids come to high school, they have some technique issues that need to be cleaned up from them playing pound ball. And then the scenario happens again when you get to college, you got kids that have had some technique issues that have to be cleaned up to fit the college game as well. But you try to add on to what they've done. They do good. And you just keep professing that over and over again. 
Another thing that you're going to have to do to be a head coach is you're going to have to be a good communicator and not just with the kids, but also with your staff as well to get them to buy in. And once you get them to buy in, they start selling your product. And once your product gets sold and your employees or your players buy in to that, that's when you start seeing the building of a successful program take place. And I've looked at it that way. I manage that that style. I want my coaches to have a say in what we do today to day. It's not a dictatorship. This is a family. We build our game plans together. We build our practice plans together. We build our offseason plans together. If Coach Milstead walked in and handed out everything and didn't allow his coaching staff to be a part of the decision-making process, now don't get me wrong, Coach Milstead always has the final say, but I make sure that I involve my coaches so that they understand that their voice has meaning, that their opinion has meaning. And when you give that authority to your coaches and they buy in, they will do anything to push your vision and your agenda so that you all can be successful. And that's the one thing that I've been a part of staffs where head coaches do everything and they tell you what to do and they dictate. And if it ain't done their way, then it's 1000% wrong. I didn't like it as an assistant coach. And I told myself I would never manage or coach that way. And so I try to keep the family atmosphere with your faith, your family, then football. And if one of the first two are compromised, that third one don't even count. And our coaches like that because most of them have families. Most of them have a higher being that they look up to, but they love the game of football. And they know the first two have allowed us and blessed us with that opportunity. So the biggest thing is to be a head coach, to be a good listener, be a good communicator, and always remember that you don't know everything about this game. Be willing to learn, although you're the head coach. Well, I like how you compared the football program and the organization to like that of a company and you being a CEO, because that's exactly what it's like. And as leaders in organizations outside of football, I mean, the same things that you talked about hold true, empowering your team, engaging them in the process. Those are all things that are important to build an effective and an engaged workforce so that they are all committed to whatever it is the objective is. And they feel like they're a part of something. Yes. They become stakeholders. Absolutely. And they feel like their words have value. Their works have value. And when you have that, you're building onto something that you own, you take ownership in it, And you know what? You work even harder for it. Absolutely. And so one of the things I want to ask you about is when you look at part of the role of the coaching staff is player development, not only from a on the field performance or a football standpoint, but it's also maturing young men into better young men as well. And so what are some of the things that you tell your young men that you think will help them to be successful for those that may go play in the NFL, in the CFL, in some other football league, or just are going to be all-stars in whatever professional career that they choose to set out for themselves? At some point, you got to separate yourself from the crowd. you got to do things that are not characteristic of your football team, meaning getting up at five o'clock in the morning and going to run the stadium steps because you want to be better at practice at three o'clock in the afternoon than the guys here at Delaware State. Being able to stay after in the weight room, weight room sessions, hour and 30 minutes, stay extra in the weight room because you feel like that there's more in the tank that you have to empty out. And, And you don't have to have a big audience. You just do it because you know you want to be better. I get that question a lot. What does it take to get to the next level? You got to be willing to do the things that other people won't. In the summertime, you got to be able to run 
110s in the blazing heat in the middle of the day. Why? Because you may have to do that when you get to that next level. And those NFL teams are not going to, they don't have any heat advisories. That, that's out the window. They got a certain time they practice. And I know I've, I've been in Austin, Texas in mid-July where it's 110 when you wake up and that humidity is unreal. And we didn't miss a beat down in Dallas at all. And then in Rockland, California with the 49ers, we didn't miss a beat in that heat either. You got to be able to do those things that other people don't want to. You got to separate yourself and open your mind that I'm competing against the guys at Alabama, at Oklahoma, at Clemson. Although I go to Lolo, Delaware State, I'm competing with those guys. So if those linemen are 6'3", 295, and they can bench press 225, 25 times, I got to be able to do those things. And then I got to find out where's my niche that's going to get me above those guys because in my mindset, I'm not playing the same caliber of athlete that they're playing week in and week out. So how do I compete for an NFL team when they're going to look at Alabama and then look at Delaware State a little bit differently? Well, I tell guys, you got to find out what those measurables are and then you have to exceed them. If you look back in 1992, I was the fifth guard taken in the draft of all schools. Your Oklahomas, your Georgias, your, your bigger programs. I was the fifth guard taken, and I feel very proud of that. But that was my mindset. Your mindset has to shift. But you also got to remember, at the end of the day, you came to college to get a degree. You're a student athlete. And that's the one thing that I'm most proud of. And I know I have a Super Bowl ring, but I'm most proud of my college degree because that was something that I really worked my tail off. I always tell people I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm not the dullest either. I can still cut steak. And I say that because my degree is the one gift. When I had to hang these jerseys up and my body could no longer play anymore, that's the one thing that's still giving me the opportunity to be successful today. I'm a head football coach at a Division One program because I have a college degree. And because I had that college degree that was sitting in my safe saying, hey, when you get finished with this football thing, let me know because I'm waiting for you so we can take on the next journey together. And I was so proud that I was able to pull mine out and use it on my resume as an opportunity to open up the door so that Rob Milstead could be seen. And that's what I tell our kids today. Everyone on our football team probably 98% of them won't even have an opportunity to even try out for a professional team. That 2% that, that may be lucky to have that opportunity to work out for a professional team, probably less than half will even make it or get an opportunity to go to training camp or hear their names in, in the draft. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite, but I got to look at the reality of it is that head coaches should really promote more of the academic part of their program and less of, hey, you got an opportunity to go pro. Yes, it's in the back of their minds that you would love for your kids to have that opportunity. I would love it for my kids to go through what I went through. It was a phenomenal ride. I look back on it sometime and I say, God, you know, why me? You blessed me so much more than I can ever ask for with that journey that I had for eight years. It, it was unbelievable. And to win a Super Bowl and and everything that comes with that and having that piece of hardware and your name in Canton for the rest of your life, something that's going to be enshrined there. It's pretty amazing, but it doesn't compare to the college degree that I have sitting next to my desk because that college degree, I'm trying my best, even at my alma mater today, to give back to Delaware State what they gave to me. 
And the more I give back, the more Delaware State gives to me. So I'm truly, truly blessed and I'm honored. But I would tell our young people, man, go to college, get that degree. Your chances of going pro are very, very slim. There's only, what, 262 guys that get drafted, a short number of those other guys that get a free agent tryout. What about the hundreds of thousands that don't get an opportunity? What happens to them? Well, they go into the work world and they can take these same football principles and use them to help them become an all-American citizen. Absolutely. As I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking about how everything you've said translates to beyond the game and being able to have a successful career as well. It's that setting yourself apart from others. It's differentiating yourself. What is it that you're going to do that's going to get you to stand out? And I completely echo your sentiment on the importance of an education. I mean, as someone that has, as my listeners know, many of them have seven degrees. So I've definitely went to school for a long, long, long time. I'm not suggesting anyone be as crazy in their academic and as me. But that was one thing too that I knew would separate myself. And I was fortunate that I had employers that paid four of those degrees. So I took advantage of that benefit as well. So if you have an employer that has an education program, I highly recommend that to people that are listening if you're thinking about continuing education. Let's talk about, I know there's a couple of topics that you want to talk about. You want to talk about the recruiting process and just give some nuggets of information to parents out there and to folks that might be listening that have kids that are playing football and are interested in getting a college scholarship. So talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on the recruiting process and what you really want our listeners to think about. Well, the biggest thing, parents, if you're listening, or student athletes, if you're listening, don't be an offer collector. That's the worst thing that you can do to keep going on Twitter or Instagram. So blessed and so thankful for my 25th offer. That's great. And that's well, but understand something. Head coaches are seeing that and know what they're doing. They're moving on to the next guy because they see right now that, yeah, you're a phenomenal athlete. You may be a four or five star and you're going to have options, but they're also looking at the what ifs. Suppose you don't choose my school and you choose somebody else. I offered you a scholarship and you're telling me that you want to wait and you want to do this. Schools don't wait. They move on to the next guy. I have a young man right now who's coming to us. He had 23 BS offers and he chose to wait and his mom didn't really understand the process. So she encouraged him to wait. When all the smoke cleared and he was ready to make a decision, he had three offers left. To this day, he's not happy with the choice that he made. He wish he would have took the choice to go to one of those bigger FBS schools that he had the offer from. But it was all because they just weren't educated. And I'm not saying it in a negative way, because parents, you don't know, there's no handbook to tell you, hey, about the recruiting game. But understand, I'm just going to share this little tidbit with you, that when a coach offers you a scholarship, especially when I do it, I tell the individual, I'm offering this scholarship to you and 10 other people. And I want you to know that because time is of the essence. I'm going to offer to you and 10 others. Whomever comes back and says, hey, coach, I'm all in. I'm committing to you. The scholarship's off the table at that point. And it's not anything personal, but I want guys that know what they want. They make the commitment. We honor our end of the commitment. And then we go forward. What bothers me the most is where Kids are looking for this big media opportunity on Twitter. I'm going to make my announcement 
on such and such a day. These are my top five schools. Well, if you got a school that's not in your top five and he's been waiting for you, imagine how disappointed that school is now because they just found out on social media that they're not part of your top five and they got to move on. Most of the schools have already moved on and they've already signed somebody else. When all the smoke clears and you call back to that school, the scholarship's gone. So parents, I would ask you to get involved in your son's recruiting. Ask the coaches, hey, is this offer committable? That's an important question to ask a coach. Is this offer committable? And he says, yes. Ask him for a timeline. Say, well, how long is it committable? How long do we have? Because we'd like to take some other visit. Be very transparent with the coaches. Don't make it a secret. Tell them what schools you're going to and give them a timeline on when you're going to make your commitment and see if it fits the timeline that the coach has for that particular scholarship. Once you get all those things and you understand what the coach's timeline is for that particular school and what your timeline, if it doesn't fit, then you know that school is definitely going to go on to someone else because you don't fit the timeline guidelines that they're looking for. And that's okay. But if you know that's your top school and you really want to go there, I would adjust my timeline to fit the criteria of that coach if you really want that scholarship. But to sit back and collect scholarship after scholarship after scholarship just to get likes on Twitter and Instagram, young men, I wouldn't do that if I was you. I just would authorize you not to do it. You got some people that don't get any scholarships or scholarship offers and they walk on and next thing you know, they're superstars at their levels. I would love to see, and I'm getting off subject, but I would love to see how many four and five star athletes to have all these offers. What is the outcome after their college career is over compared to guys that have one star, two star, three stars, or no stars? I'm just curious to see if anybody ever did a study about that. Don't get hung up on stars. I didn't have any stars coming out of high school. I went to Delaware State, a small HBCU in Dover, Delaware, and I was able to live out my childhood dreams. My mom said something to me years ago. I was very hesitant about coming to a smaller school. And she said, Rod, let me tell you something. If you're good, they will find you. And that was back in 1987. Understand something now. It is a totally different game. Social media has taken off. And these NFL teams spend hundreds of millions of dollars finding the best talent under a rock, at sea, abroad, everywhere you could think of, they look for talent. They use the resources to get it. If you're good, regardless if you want to go Division Three, Division Two, Division One, look at Matt Gono from Wesley College down the street from us. He's going on his fourth year in the NFL from a Division Three school, undrafted free agent, and he's signed a new deal with the Atlanta Falcons right now. So it doesn't matter where you go. It's what you do when you get the opportunity. Make the most of the opportunity, but most of all, parents understand the recruiting process. It's a process. Ask those questions so that you won't get left holding the bag at the end with no opportunity for your son to go to school for free. I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I think you bring up some really great points. And I think it's very important for, to your point, for parents to understand that process and play an active role in it. You can't rely on a young man to process through all that because they're a young man. I mean, science, it's backed by science that your brain isn't fully formed. You can't think through all of those things, your prefrontal cortex. So it's really up to the parents to play an active role and not leave it up to their kids. So if you are a parent of a student athlete, really get involved in that recruiting 
process. One other thing I wanted to talk about with you had some big changes here recently as of July 1st with name, image, and likeness, NIL. And just wanted to have a quick conversation about what are your thoughts on NIL? Obviously, there's a big debate about it going on. So can you share with us your thoughts, what you think about this whole opportunity for kids now? Being a former professional athlete, I look at it a little bit different. I wasn't a fan of it. I'm trying to understand it. I think I wasn't a fan because I really didn't know anything about it. Within the last week, I've done some reading and read some NCAA policy about it and trying to understand the whole logistics of the name image likeness situation that they got going on. I think it's going to benefit those exceptional athletes like your Heisman Trophy contenders, your bigger programs, those bigger schools will probably have the most, and that's across the board in all sports, will probably have the most individuals that will be able to profit off of it. But I want our young people to understand something that for the smaller programs, A lot of us work on limited resources. We're a limited resource school, meaning that we don't have the hundreds of millions of dollars that your big power five programs have. And for those individuals at those smaller schools, that's a big concern for me. And I'll tell you why, is that if you are under your parents and your parents are using you as a dependent on their taxes, whatever resources you get that come in, that goes against your parents now. So where you may be a full Pell Grant kid, the monies that you receive may knock you out of that situation, which will then change your parents' tax bracket. That's a good possibility. Now, I'm giving you all the what ifs. Also, if your school relies on that Pell Grant money to help with your scholarship, which most schools do, and you're receiving money, now your score changes again, where you may not get the full advantage of the Pell Grant. And now the school is trying to compensate or figure out how they're going to pay the remaining balance of your scholarship because it could increase by over $6,800 because that's what the normal Pell Grant is around 68, close to $7,000 for someone who's a full qualifier. And I want our young people to understand before you sign something, take it to your compliance at your school, have them look at it, read it, and have someone look at it so you'll know what you're signing yourself into. Not saying that there will be, but I'm quite sure there are going to be some companies out there, possibly, that's going to get you to sign documents, and they're going to own your rights for five, six years. So it could be a situation where you got a kid who is in college, and next you know he goes to the pros, and now you got a company that says, hey, I own your rights for the next three years. You're a pro, but whatever you earn, I get a portion of it. Be smart about what you're selling and be smart about what contracts that you're signing, because it would really, really be disheartening for a young man to be in the mindset that he's going to make all this money and a company owns his name and likeness. And then all of a sudden they're not promoting him. They're promoting somebody else from a probably a winning program or somebody from a bigger market. And you're not getting the same opportunities that somebody else is getting, but you can't do anything about it because your rights have already been given to someone else. So be smart. There's a big picture of this, but the biggest picture is the financial situation. When a company gives you things, they're not just giving you things. Probably at the end of the year, if they give you 
$1,000 in merchandise or free food, they're going to give you a 1099 because you just became an employee of that company. Even if it's a fast food taco restaurant, low ledger, and they say, hey, you know, we want to get you to come do some promotions with us. We're going to pay you $1,000. Okay, great. That sounds good. They give you a $1,000 check. At the end of the year, they're going to give you a 1099 as a private contractor, and you're going to have to pay taxes on it. Understand, this is a business. They're paying you for your name and your likeness. And the part that probably bothers me the most, and I speaking for myself, Rod Milstead was just Rod Milstead coming from a small town in Maryland. Rod Milstead's name really got put out there because of Delaware State University and the opportunity that Delaware State University provided for me. The majority of the individuals that are doing this name image likeness deal didn't have this publicity or wouldn't have this publicity if it wasn't for the schools that they represent during the course of the year. But you can't use that. You can't use the helmet. You can't use the uniform. You can't do anything. It's only your name and your likeness, your body, your face, those type of things that you can promote. And without the uniform, a lot of times we don't know who these kids are. And so that's the situation where a lot of kids feel like, oh, I'm going to make all this money while I'm in college. It's not going to be as easy as everyone thinks. I think once the novelty wears off, it's going to slow down tremendously. But those big school, bigger schools that have the bigger markets will probably, those individuals will probably profit. And I think in a couple of years, we're going to find out the bigger schools are going to use this as probably one of their recruiting tools. Like, hey, you come here. We got some sponsorship for you. You'll make money while you're in college. And that just changes the game. To me, personally, I think as a head coach, it's more of a distraction right now until NCAA really figures this thing out. And I know it's new and there's going to be some mistakes made. But right now, it's starting to become probably most of the coaches, they may or they may not say, it's more of a distraction right now. And it's kind of taken us off of the OTAs and working out and those things because Kids are looking for an opportunity to cash in and they have this mindset, hey, I'm going to get rich off of this while I'm in college. And it's not going to be as easy as everyone thinks. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I work with a number of agents and absolutely, I mean, that's a common thing is you've got some kids that will profit and do well off of NIL deals, but for a majority of them, that's not going to be the case. And so there are some opportunities, yes, but I think people just need to be smart about it. And I would highly, if someone's listening and is thinking about an NIL deal, make sure you get yourself a good attorney, a good agent to really look through these contracts because there's a lot of different terms in there. I've worked on some NIL deals with some agents and and talking through different terms. And so just make sure that you have somebody that's trained and educated in looking at contracts to review those things and make sure you're not signing yourself up for something that you could regret later. So I appreciate you having that conversation. So coach, what I want to do now to end our show is I wanted to walk you through my two minute drill and just ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Nope. I'm sorry. I'm prepared. Oh, (laughs) there you go. I should have asked a different question. All right, here we go. First question is, what did you want to be when you were 10 years old? A police officer. Okay, how about who would play you in a movie about your life? George Foreman. Oh, that's a good choice. How about, what is your favorite vacation spot? Oh, Jamaica. How about, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? (laughs) A Rocky Road. That's one of my mom's favorite, actually. And how about, what is a pet peeve of yours? Pet peeve of mine. Not making your bed in the morning. Oh, yes. That's a pet peeve of lots of parents, (laughs) too. How about what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? Listen to your podcast book. They call me dirty by Conrad Dobler. Oh, 
I've not heard that one. I have to take a look at that one. And my last question is, you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? Barack Obama, because I'm totally fascinated by how he brought our country together in a time of turmoil and with all the obstacles that he had to go over and all the doors that were closed, you never saw him lose his cool. He always was prepared. To me, was awesome. Muhammad Ali, I would love to have had the opportunity to meet him just to pick his brain about standing up for something he believed in, although he lost so much money. He chose to be a champion for justice and almost lost it all by doing so. What was his mindset? Why would you choose that? You could have just taken the money, which most people would have done, but he said, no, I'm not going to do that. The third person would be my grandfather who passed away. He taught me so much about life, although he only had a second grade education, but he gave me my first job on his ice cream truck. To me, he couldn't have paid me enough because I'm the man I am today because of the life lessons that he shared with me on a daily basis, helped me to become a better coach, helped me become a better football player. But most of all, it really helped me form the man that I am today. Oh, that's awesome. Three great choices, especially the last one um, because of the personal connection and the influence that he's made on your life. So coach, what I want to do now is just give you the floor. Do you have any last thoughts for our listeners? And also let people know how can they stay apprised of your journey as well as keep in touch with what Delaware State is doing as a football program? Well, they can follow me on Twitter. I am Coach Milstead at Milstead69 on Twitter. I'm also Coach Milstead at Milstead69 on Instagram as well. I'm working on my Instagram. My daughters told me that Facebook is for old people, that most young people are on Instagram. But young people, young football players, if you want to get recruited, get on Twitter. I'm telling you, that's the biggest recruitment tool there is. Instagram, yeah, we'll find you. But for the most part, almost every coach in the country has a Twitter feed or uh, access to Twitter so that they can watch your films and you can actually market yourself through that social media outlet. Just thank you, Jen, for having me a part of your show. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to our season this year. We will be fully operational a university. Games will be wide open. Everyone's able to come here. We have seven home games in Dover, Delaware. So we are extremely excited about kicking this thing off September 4th. Oh, well, that's fantastic. And I am eagerly awaiting the kickoff of both the college football season and the NFL season. So we're getting closer, which is exciting. And I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show, Coach Milstead. It's been such a pleasure having you on today. Thank you, Jen. And thank you to everyone for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.